Fight! It's a little Metallica Seeking Destroy. I've been doing that now for uh, three years, probably. Uh, discuss your truth here, Ian Trachier, coming at you from Miami. Um, we started this program in, um, in 2000, well, 2017 to be exact, um, Winwood Radio. And it was uh, Kitty, who was a station manager that I got in a dialogue with one day, um, just uh, randomly met her, uh, giving her a ride. And she said, um, she says, Ian, how do you know so much about the Zika virus and um, the Rockefeller involvement, uh, the patent that they have? Uh, what about uh, Cecil Rhodes and All Souls School at Oxford? You know, how, how, how do you know these links? This is, again, this is 2016, probably November. And, um, and I says, I says, Kitty, you know, I, I just, I went to the town hall meeting and I uh, would turn that off. I went to the town hall meeting, and, um, and this is the stuff I discovered. Uh, Miami Beach. Uh, that uh, that th- there were easily 300 people in the town hall chamber. Um, and, um, you know, of course, Levine, Philip Levine, the mayor at the time, and, and his uh, council members, uh, the CDC on the phone... Uh, I was interviewed by Michelle Gillen, a CBS reporter outside afterwards. Uh, her and I got close to some degree in that she told me that she had done some research in Uganda. She was being censored by the local CBS station. Um, but, um, you know, all these protesters and, and I thought, is there any substance to this argument? Is the, uh, is the Zika virus... Um, is it harmful? Is the pesticide harmful? It's banned in Europe. And, 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 and what I found was uh, that, yes, uh, these things are legitimately, there's, there's validity behind them. They're, they're, they're legitimate claims. Uh, there's uh, major issues going on. So this is 2016, 2017. Uh, Kitty invites me to start the program. I do so January. First couple of days of January is the first Wednesday. I occupied that Wednesday slot there at Winwood Radio for... Uh, three years, uh, I then um, I then left Montana, began uh, broadcasting remotely, and uh, excuse me, not uh, in Miami. Uh, returned. Um, I was I was in Canada. I was in a, other parts of uh, the U.S. and then returned to Miami for a convention. Uh, now, uh, typically on this show, if you've if you've caught past episodes, and, and if you haven't, I urge you to do so. Uh, Al McCoy, Paul Hellyer, uh, Cynthia McKinney, um, Charlotte Eisenbitt, uh, David Icke. Uh, there are a number of uh, very well-known uh, scholars, uh, broadcasters that have joined the program over the years. And I urge you to go back into the archive and listen to those uh, programs. Uh, Jordan Maxwell... Um, uh, last week, um, last week we had, uh, um, uh, 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 um, had a couple of great guests, uh, as well. Um, and, um, uh, look, I just, 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 I, I, I'll announce the, today's guest here in a moment. Uh, we will be doing a, a, a double header, uh, again, uh, Cassandra Spencer joined us last week. 
Um, this week, again, um, uh, I'll mention who I've got lined up here. It'll be two hours. This will be the uh, the first hour, of course. Um, but uh, 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 do go back into the archive. Um, uh, Freedom Reserve, No More Lies, a trying date publishing. Uh, we've been waiting now on a couple different things. The, the book was scheduled to be published last year. It's been about a year, last May, because of the coronavirus. By the way, Zika is a coronavirus. I think probably most of you listening to this program have done your research. You understand um, the uh, the various coronaviruses that exist um, and uh, COVID-19 simply being another one of those types of coronaviruses. Uh, so anyway, so, so, so I began the program. Uh, in January 2017, uh, began after three years doing the program remotely, um, and returned to Miami in October of 2020, uh, which is where uh, where I um, what I was saying was I don't take sides politically. I try not to take sides politically. What I do is I take sides with the U.S. Constitution, and the Constitution represents uh, any 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 political party, regardless of whether it's a Democrat or Republican party. The Constitution represents all Americans. So that's really what I side with is, is the Constitution, those constitutional values. And those are clearly uh, under fire today. Uh, freedom of speech, censorship. Uh, you take Donald Trump, for instance, uh, completely banned from a social media platform. Is, is it within their right? They're a public company, but they're providing a, excuse me, they're a private company, but they're providing a public service. Um, is, is, it, is it within their right to just ban the speech? Uh, of uh, even James O'Keefe, right? James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, a ban from that site is my understanding. Uh, my personal sites uh, banned from a host that I was using. I'd been using them for 15 years uh, and they, they took down the sites. And I'll tell you exactly why they took the sites down. StopCommunism.net was a site that I had published. I was in D.C. in December. Uh, and yes, I was, uh, I was in D.C. in January as well. Uh, I was not at the Capitol. I don't believe in violence. Uh, but I do believe in, uh, in, in freedom of speech. Um, and, um, and, uh, um, and, 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 and I, and I, and it was, it was interesting. I was actually, it was in December and I, probably mid-December, I don't remember the date, but, uh, I was in, I was standing actually at the, I was standing right outside the Capitol building, as a matter of fact, right between the Capitol and the, um, and the Supreme Court. Um, uh, and I get this, I can remember that, I can remember vividly. Yeah, I can remember that the thought came across my mind and I thought, I've got to start, I've really got to start a website, introtier.com, um, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. This is, a, this, is a, this is a domain that I purchased probably back in 2011. Uh, I just bought my own domain name, my own name, my own birth name. And um, maybe 2012, perhaps earlier, I, I have to go back and remember when I bought this but I was using that host, right? And I used that host for 15 years. Um, and, um, and it may have been with that domain. It may have been a different domain that I started. The, the, I'm not sure if I started the, using that host with that domain or not. But, but I get this vivid imagery. Uh, I, I, and, I, and it came to me just strong. And I, I'm st- actually, again, like I said, I was standing outside the Capitol building in D.C. And I said, I got I to gotta start this website. They're going to call it StopCommunism.com. Well, I went on to don't register the domain. It had been used. But StopCommunism.net wasn't used. So what I've done is I've taken all the literature that I've compiled since I began basically researching the Zika virus. 
Um, and, and again, politics and government and big pharma and big corporation and banking, they're all intertwined, right? They're all kind of intertwined. It's, 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 just, it's kind of like the human body, right? Your pinky's useful, your thumb's useful, your ankle's useful. Everything works together. Uh, your nose, your smell, your thought, your lungs, everything, everything works together to make up a corpus, right? Corporation, or excuse me, uh, your, your body, your, corp- your, your, your corpus, your, your, your corp. Um, so, um, so I start, so I saw the website. I, I, I took all the literature that I, that I published on uh, com because I've got a section under for literature, uh, work that I've compiled over the years to support, uh, the research basically that I've done, done. uh, and, um, and I put that up on Stop Communism. Two individuals of importance. Uh, Dr. Anthony Sutton, he's, the, he's, the, he's the, the key to all the research that I've done over the years. Uh, he taught at Stanford for uh, seven or eight years. Uh, he gave a speech in 1972 in Miami Beach. He returned to Palo Alto. He was reprimanded for giving the information. The information he divulged was Prescott Bush uh, funding the Nazi regime. Um, so he ended up walking away from Stanford, publishing his own material, his own books. And yes, Trine Day is one of the publishers he used. Um, my book will be coming forth here soon in a couple months. It's, the agreement's reached. It's basically all written, but uh, uh, the publisher and I agreed to that a couple of things because of recent events. Um, I've got a couple of great guest authors that are contributing to that book. You can pre-order it right now at Amazon. Uh, Barnes & Noble may have taken it off. I'm not sure, but there's a number of websites if you're in Canada, uh, Chapters, uh, Indigo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can order it through a number of different sites. Um, and so I put the literature up on Stop Communism. It, it, it must have gotten some traffic that I didn't realize it was getting, and uh, boom, the host took it down. But the host took that down, and it took, they took down my site and a bunch of other sites as well. So they took down a number of sites uh, under the claim of not supporting soapboxing. Donald Trump had called me a prize fighter um, at Doral in Miami. Uh, I, I stuck around Miami. I'm, I remained in Miami instead of returning uh, uh Outside, which I had been for about a year, and um, and 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 so and so I don't know. I paired with uh, Google whistleblowers named Zach Voorhees, and so I'm not sure if uh, Two Cows is the domain out of Toronto that runs Yola. Um, and again, if you're if you're dissecting how the information superhighway, the internet runs, its various hubs globally, it seems that there's a major hub in Toronto. Uh, Two Cows, which actually is an American company by birth, if you will, but then it uh, was sold to a Canadian firm. Anyway, I'm not sure exactly where. I'm going to throw this out at you. Antifa.com. You can trace all sorts of Two Cows out of Toronto, but their home base is Seattle. Whoever owns, whoever operates and owns Antifa.com, which I believe yields the result of uh, Whitehouse.gov, because it was yielding the result... um, uh, it was yielding the result, uh, JoeBiden.com. Uh, but this is a this is a domain that's based in Seattle now. Uh, but it is, I believe, cross check this. Uh, you, it's uh, linked to Two Cows. And the Two Cows is managing that account or, or something. It's a domain registration. Anyway, so discuss your truth was born, two thousand seventeen. Here we are. I'm continuing, and I will continue this. Uh, to the unforeseen future. Usually Wednesdays, 5 o'clock Eastern, is when I do the show live uh, because uh, of uh, the variations in uh, 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 physical space and broadcasting. 
Uh, it's something I don't really talk about. Um, but the guy, the guy, the guy, the guy, the studio that I was using in the Northwest, uh, uh, great studio. When I left Winwood Radio, I used a private studio. Uh, and uh, yeah, this guy, this guy ends up uh, passing away. I don't think I've mentioned that on any of my shows. I can't reveal the name, but uh, but it was April uh, of uh, let's see, last uh, last year. Yeah, about a year ago, this fellow passed away. Um, so anyway, so using different studios, using mobile equipment, um, being based in Miami, there was a uh, there was a period of time where I uh, was not regularly uh, 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 broadcasting or recording um, uh, for a couple months there uh, around the election. Um, but, but I have, uh, resumed and, and what I'm going to be doing here for the next, at least couple months while in Miami, uh, well, I, I'll be doing Saturday shows instead of the Wednesday slot at five, I'll be doing Saturday shows, um, uh, to simply pre-record and get those, uh, get those going. So those of you that do listen, uh, and, 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 cause I know there's a number of you that, that have, uh, that have reached out to me, um, that's what you can, uh, expect um, and, and I've got the software to go live, uh, but, but at the moment, these are beginning to be pre-recorded. So I appreciate your support and um, your donations and, um, and look for uh, Freedom Reserve No More Lies to be coming here in the next couple months. It will be released. Trying Day will be releasing it. Um, the agreement is in place. Uh, and, um, and next hour, moving right into things. Uh, next hour, uh, Jacob Nordengard also writes for technocracy.news will be joining the program to discuss his book Rockefeller controlling the gang I think more and more Americans are, 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 are realizing that we have issues we have issues that are unresolved we have issues that we need to be getting answers to questions that need to be answered um, and uh, and I think a, a larger and larger percentage of Americans are realizing there are there are there are problems in the United States government. Uh, we're a very fortunate country. And I make no mistake about it. We're a very fortunate country. There is no greater country on the planet. But that doesn't mean that this country is not uh, uh, prone to corruption because there is corruption and it is deep, folks. And it needs to be cleaned out and only you can clean it out. Only we can clean it, folks. Only we can clean it out. Um, yeah, dishonesty is just, uh, it runs rapid, doesn't it? In, in all facets of life, in all uh, uh, industries, uh, a, a corruption, dishonesty, uh, lies uh, run rampant in any type of relationship, doesn't it? Unfortunately, that's a very, very, very unfortunate aspect of life. It's a very incredibly unfortunate aspect of life. Uh, but it's up to you and me. It's up to it's up to each and every one. It's not only to have our own integrity, but to hold others to uh, hold others to a high level of integrity. Um, and when it uh, when it when it translate in, translates into uh, it translates into uh, invasion of, of of our personal rights, inalienable rights, but certainly constitutional rights. Uh, then, uh, then only only you and I may can stand up, stand up for it, folks, and, and that's what needs to be happening right here. So, uh, coming up here now, I'm going to be bringing him in on Skype, uh, a great guest out of San Francisco, a place that uh, that I that I have been to. I do know uh, San Francisco uh, uh, will be joined here momentarily. By uh, by Martin Sawa, okay, author uh, of uh, Martin. Martin is the author of uh, an intriguing book, um, and the title of that book is "The Other Side of Success: Money and the Meaning in the Golden State: A Memoir 
by Martin Sala, a, a, a memoir. So this, this fellow has um, really some, a great story to tell, and, um, and we're going to bring him on here, here in a moment. Let me read a quick quote uh, that, he's, that, he's, that he's got uh, from the book. Uh, this is a, this is a, this is a great little quote. Now bring a monk. I know he's standing by. He's waiting. Uh, but the, but here's a quote: an often insightful look back on one man's pursuit of the American dream. Throughout his memoir, Sala points a vivid portrait of a diverse and vibrant California. Indeed, that is a very vibrant state. Martin Sala. Here we go. Uh, bringing him on right now. Thanks for listening to Discuss the Truth, folks. I appreciate your support. Uh, Martin Sala. Hey. Yes, Martin. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fantastic and uh, very happy that, uh, that that we've got the right day because for... for <laughs> Listeners don't understand the the, 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 the the background on this, but uh, uh-huh. but initially two weeks ago I had phoned and reached out to Martin and, and and was ready to go with him, confirming with him, and he says, wait, 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 wait a second, you've got the wrong date. So I had to reach back out to uh, the publicist and clarify things, and uh, so here we've got the right date. Um, anyway, so 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 Martin, um, you uh, 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 take a minute. I think you're probably used to this with your with your interviews. Take a minute, give uh, give listeners a. Little, little, little bit of an introduction uh, to to you and uh, to to the book, the memoir that you've written, the other side of success. Martin, who are you? And what's a quick look at the book? A quick look at, and we'll get into some of the the the, the bolts uh, of, of the book. Well, thanks for having me on, Ian. And uh, I'm uh, my my professional background was in commercial real estate. And uh, I was a broker and then an operator and then a developer in San Francisco and Los Angeles over a period of years. Uh, and the book is a member, but it's not just a business bio. Uh, before I started to write it, I um, you know, had to come to terms with how truthful I wanted to be and decided that I was either all in or not in at all. So it recounts uh, a lot of my personal life and the people that I knew and the experiences I had and the lessons I learned. And that resulted in The Other Side of Success. The subtitle is Money and Meaning in the Golden State. Right. So, so, So to achieve success in a state like California or New York, it's incredibly competitive. Uh, for listeners that maybe have not gone to California or visited the state, uh, uh, Martin, I think it's the uh, the most populous state, isn't it? Or, or it's uh, you've, we've got you've got close to forty million people in that state, I, I believe. Um, and so, uh, achieving a success certainly in any industry is going to bring its challenges. Uh, but you, you know, you you speak of challenges uh, that uh, that are not necessarily uh, 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 pertinent to the career you built for yourself in California, but there are challenges that you faced to even get yourself uh, to the stage of studying, I think it was architecture uh, at the uh, University of Wisconsin. But even the, 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 the ground 
the groundbreaking uh, or the, the, the foundation rather that was laid uh, from your parents. There's some incredible challenges. Speak a little bit about what your parents had to overcome in order to, to, to address, this, uh, address this for you. Uh, my parents uh, were born uh, in what is now Ukraine. Uh, and this was in the 20s. And uh, they lived under uh, Stalin and then Hitler and then almost Stalin again uh, before they fled uh, and then wandered around Europe living day to day in uh, the last years of uh, World War II. Uh, they were then uh, placed in a displaced persons camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, the readers who aren't familiar with what uh, what it was like right immediately after uh, the Armistice Day, uh, there were just millions of people uh, wandering around Europe. And so they lived in uh, one of these DP camps, and uh, that's where I was conceived. And then they came over with uh, my sister, who was two years old at the time, and two suitcases and landed at Ellis Island mm-hmm. and then were resettled in a small town in rural Wisconsin where I was born. So that's my uh, DNA. And uh, I grew up in that little town and uh, then eventually made my way to California. Now you've, you've got a, you've got a career that was built uh, both in San Francisco and Los Angeles um, and, and talking about, Again, so 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 we've got author Martin Sala with us, um, and he's, he 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 really brings a very interesting dynamic into the real estate uh, 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 commercial real estate uh, career that that he built in that state. Uh, the the dyna- dynamic I speak of, and I'll, and we'll get into it with him in, in a little bit, is uh, the relationships, uh, marriages, and other relationships that 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 he's uh, that he's encountered. Um, through that career that have that have kind of coincided with the uh, some 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 very strong challenges that he's that he's encountered through that through that course of time. Uh, but you've got two different dynamics in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Speak a little bit about uh, you, you. You were uh, an executive with CBRE and Cushman Wakefield. These are for 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 listeners who don't understand what those companies are. These are uh, property management. Uh, primarily property management. Uh, they probably get into development as well, but property management companies. Uh, but you've got two different dyma- dynamics in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Explain explain the differences primarily in what you what you dealt with between those two cities in your career, Art. Well, I, just to fill in a little more backstory, I started kind of late in life in the commercial real estate business. I was almost thirty years old. I had a job that I hated. Uh, my wife was pregnant, and uh, we were broke. So I didn't get into the business, you know, by having a business, an MBA from Wharton or that route. Mm-hmm. I just quit uh, my job one day and got a real estate sales license and uh, went into investment sales and as a broker. And I was a broker for almost 20 years, and then at the top of my game, I quit and became an operator, and then I reinvented myself one more time as uh, developers. So uh, 
in in San Francisco in Los Angeles, uh, and th- these are in the years you know right before and after the millennium. Uh, San Francisco was principally sort of the financial center of the West Coast, and LA was uh, you know uh, feature films and uh, everything connected with Hollywood, and also diversified in aerospace and other areas, but as places to live. I um, I worked in San Francisco, uh, but I didn't really like the the kind of vibe there. Uh, so I lived in uh, Oakland, which is right across the bay, which was more of a blue-collar city at the time, and uh, just uh, felt it was a better place to uh, raise a family. Uh, when I moved later to Los Angeles, uh, the weather, the weather was great, and I loved to rollerblade, and I do the route along the beach, wow. uh, you know, all the way up to Palisades and back to Venice, and that part was great, and the deals were great, but uh, there was also a vibe that it was all kind of like a movie and just a, kind of a fake element. <laughs> so every place has its pluses and minuses. Let me put it that way. And 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 when you're when you're managing the properties, uh, that shows up in the way that you're having to manage uh, the, the 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 teams. Do they do they are they are they portraying is San Francisco more of a serious uh, a, a serious personnel versus. Uh, I mean, what, explain for listeners what what what's the what, what did you find? What was the difference in the people that you managed in the in the or the the companies or you know within the uh, the personnel that made up those different teams that you managed? What was uh, how that culture was reflected? The difference in the two cultures. Uh, from a business standpoint, they weren't that they weren't that different. Uh, I, I was never in property management. Um, I was in brokerage. And these large firms uh, like CBRE, Cushman and Wakefield, they're now international companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're international real estate service companies. So whatever you need, uh, uh, representing a tenant, representing a property seller, appraisal, property management, they, they kind of do it all. Uh, the... The business uh, in what I did was uh, starting out as a broker in investment sales. And it, it was the same for other types of brokerage. It, it was very competitive. And you really worked for yourself. Uh, I worked purely on commissions. And um, so you're competing as much with the person sitting next to you as you are with investment brokers in other companies. And when I started, uh, some of the older brokers, they belonged to uh, what was then like men's club, like uh, the Bohemian Club, which you probably have heard of, sure. and the Olympic Club and whatnot. Yeah. And that's where the social relationships were formed. Uh, but again, starting out kind of late and never really having those kind of social connections, I just relied on my wits and making deals. And it was the same in Los Angeles. You you find, and they, these were large deals. These were like selling uh, high-rise office buildings and shopping malls and technology parks. 
And you're dealing with some really good uh, negotiators, people whose names you'll see in the paper. And it, uh, one of the biggest attractions, I mean, the money was certainly important up to a point, but it was just the juice, what I call the juice, the action of really uh, outwitting and closing, outwitting your opponents and closing a big deal. I, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a great feeling. The, the the Olympic Club is an uh, in, in, in old athletic club. I think it's even older than the New York Athletic Club. And, and one of the things that I know, because I know a little bit about that area, Joe DiMaggio was the baseball player, was a native of, uh, of, of Northern California. He was a member of the Olympic Club. How does, how does the climate change, uh, Martin, with the, with this, with the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic? How, how, do, how do things change in, in commercial real estate? Well, it's it's been a big deal, but uh, probably the the way I would describe it best is one: there's winners and losers, as there always are in times of sort of uh, major change. Uh, and then two, uh, COVID accelerated trends that were already in place, and that without COVID may have taken, you know, a few more years to play out. But with COVID, it compressed it all into, you know, months. So that was the biggest impact of COVID on real estate and I think most other businesses. Yeah, and you've you've got, um, is there a comparison between the Great Recession and uh, the impact that the COVID-19 has had on, on CRE um, in the past year and a half? I, I think in, in terms of impact, yeah, yeah in terms of the recovery, uh, it remains to be seen. But most observers believe this recovery will be uh, faster than the Great Recession. Great. It took two, three, four years, depending on property type and market, to kind of get back to the baseline, where here they think it may be, uh, most commentators think it'll happen more quickly, at least in some sectors. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, get into, um, let's get into your definition here of, of, of success in commercial real estate. Now, now, before we get into the other side, of success. How do you define success, Martin? Well, in commercial real estate, as in the world of business, whether, you know, finance or trading, you know, stocks, whatever, uh, success is pretty binary. (laughs) It's uh, uh, almost entirely, or if not entirely, financial. And that means income, it means net worth, it means any quantifiable financial marker. And the more you have, the more successful you are. The bigger fish you can gobble up. Yes. (laughs) Um, What is the other side of success? Well, that's the the human price you pay for, (laughs) (laughs) for getting the above. Got it. Yeah, and it's uh, different for everybody, and uh, just because it's the rest of your life, 
Mm-hmm. And that's why when I wrote uh, The Other Side of Success, uh, I didn't want it just to be a business bio. Uh, you know, you read wh- whoever, you know, became a billionaire, and of course they overcame obstacles, but you never really get to know anything about their personal life. And believe me, they all have one. And to just kind of imagine that you're this one aspect of yourself and to present that, I mean, that's the most advantageous, um, but it doesn't really reflect the reality that you're, you're a bunch of people. You can be categorized you know, in different ways, and, and it's this interaction between the parts uh, that causes conflict. You're 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 brokering with um, some high net worth individuals, uh, my understanding, and again, you're achieving success. I believe you use the word wit as opposed to a you know a kind of a, a social engineered approach, um, uh, uh, and 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 yet you are dealing with uh, you're dealing with on the home front, for instance, uh, challenges that you've got to. Um, you've got to be able to overcome so that those are not reflected in uh, at the at the meeting table. And for instance, uh, Martin here dealt with uh, one of these challenges that, that that Martin speaks about in his book is is uh, dealing with the sudden death. Uh, yes, the death of his second wife. Talk a little bit about that, Martin, and and how you overcame that. Well. Uh just to get to fill in a little backstory, so uh, I, I married for the first time. This was in Oakland in the 70s, and uh, my uh, wife, she had, uh, she was uh, Native American, Choctaw. Uh, she had two kids from a prior relationship, and then as soon as we married, we had her daughter, and uh, that relationship uh, lasted until the mid-80s, and then we separated. And then I wasn't married for a period of years, and then I met my second wife, who was a black woman from the South, who, like me, uh, just left one day and moved to California and did what what she had to do. Uh, So she had... uh, it, It wasn't just wife and lover. She became my uh, spiritual mentor and moral compass. And uh, she had powers, I would say, and abilities in what I call the world of the unseen. And so it was it was quite a relationship. And then one day uh, we were going, getting ready to go out to dinner, and she just dropped dead. Wow. Uh, from what I later found out was a congenital heart condition. And there were no last words. There were, and that was a defining, the defining point in my life. Uh, you know, there's the cliche, if life doesn't get your attention, death will. And it sure got mine. So, And then I had to reevaluate everything. And business was way down the list. Talk a little bit about that spirituality that did, did that she that she brought. It is this is this like an esoteric element uh, uh, to life that that she brought into your 
into your worldview or to your experience? Uh, expand on that. And then also, Martin, uh, did it help prepare you at all in coping with uh, coping with her passing? Yeah, this this is a complicated story, and uh, I just want to like tell tell your listeners I'm not here to proselytize or try to convince them of anything. As if you read the book, you'll see I I, I think I'm throughout pretty objective and just here's the experiences I had. Uh, here's you know, the basis for them, and here's how, how, how I responded. But uh, she was uh, she was quite a woman. She was very attractive, confident. Uh, she worked for the, um, she was the right hand for the regional manager of Digital Equipment Company, which was with IBM, one of the iconic companies, uh, technology companies. And but she read the Bible every night, and she was religious. She uh, practiced what she preached. Uh, she loved to party. Uh, but And then she just, uh, she, those experiences we had where, um, you know, we'd go to the store and some stranger would approach her, and, you know, after, she'd talk for 10, 15 minutes, and then I'd ask her, well, who, who was that? And she said, oh, that was an angel. You know, giving me life advice, and uh, we we ran into like imps and other what I call kind of ethereal people. And believe me, I was a hardened skeptic before all of this. And yeah. So it, it took me a long time to process it. But uh, eventually, I said there is what I call again the world of the unseen. There is a reality other than you know what's scientifically proven. And then later, uh, we met a psychic, and uh, who I just, and, and that was a whole other thing, and I tried to debunk that, but this woman um, was extremely skilled, and I'll leave it that, you know, despite my best efforts uh, to debunk it, she, she provided valuable information uh, based on knowing things that no one else could possibly know, in which were helpful in my life. So to kind of sum it up, when when my wife, then wife, passed, uh, it, it was, again, living up, trying to live up to her expectations of me. And the psychic helped in terms of continuing the connection. And that's how I got through it, because uh, there was a couple of points where I was ready to pull the plug. And I also had a good partner at that time. Uh, we were developers and operators, and uh, he just kind of handled the business by himself for for many months. So now, now you say pull the plug. What, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, you you question what the point is of anything, and then you think of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, the how did you come across? encountering and finding this individual that helped you. Um, do you think that your wife that passed, uh, do you think she aided in delivering that medium, that, that person to you, Martin? Uh, no, 
because uh, uh, I, I've had incidences throughout my life, <laughs> which I call the operation of fate, F-A-T-E. And it, they just seem to have happened to me. And I, I'm sure they happen to everybody, but um, most people probably don't take notice or don't act on it. Uh, Anita was actually opposed to even going to see the psychic when we first met her. She was given kind of a little seminar because she was biblically um, committed and religious, and the Bible doesn't deal favorably with the sorcerers, psychic spiritists. But uh, as she found out that uh, the woman who was just a suburban housewife and uh, was a good Christian woman, uh, she started to, you know, react to her a little more positively. But no, <laughs> it was she was almost oppositional in the beginning. So you... and I don't know why I went to see her. We were in L.A. Yeah. And, there, and I don't even know. I saw an ad somewhere for this little seminar. It was in the Hollywood Holiday Inn of all places. Interesting. <laughs> and, and that's when the, the that's when it started. So you you have a history through I think prep school, uh, Jesuit prep school or boarding school was it? Um, there was a Catholicism had an influence. Uh, in your life at one point, um, what is the meshing uh, here, uh, if there is a meshing? Are there parallels between what Anita had brought to your life in the spiritual realm? Uh, you mentioned that she's reading the Bible, uh, sound like you said, daily, and then this uh, this in, uh, exposure that you had previously in, 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 in Catholicism. But assuming these are different things, um, and, and, and we can even uh, 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 accelerate it to the psychic experiences or the, the experiences or, 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 or uh, counsel that you're receiving from the psychic. Are, are there any parallels between, uh, between uh, the, the two, the two uh, realms um, on a spirit, I guess on a spiritual level? Uh, are, are there any uh, parallels? I um I was fortunate. I grew up in this little town in the middle of nowhere, but there was a Jesuit boarding school uh, on, on the perimeter of town. And the students uh, came from other states and even other countries. It was quite highly regarded. And I was fortunate. I was a town student, and I had my parents couldn't afford the tuition, but I passed their admissions test and then just kind of started working at the age of 13 and you know worked my way through school and I learned more in high school than I ever did in college wow. uh, it was just a great edge it was we were one of the last cohorts with uh, what I would call classical liberal education uh, if any of your listeners kind of relate to what that means in, in sort of tr the traditional sense and uh, and then uh, I fell away from the practice of my faith. I went to college, and uh, the world was becoming progressively more secular. And it, there wasn't any one point where I just, you know, had some intellectual conversion to atheism or anything like that. It was just easier not to do it. Uh, but I always believed. I always 
believe. Uh, and then as life went on, and uh, when I met Anita, and again, she grew up in a Pentecostal household where her mother literally built a one-room church with her own hands in wow. the outskirts of Mobile. And, but she, she didn't go for the ritual, but she read the Bible and did her own exegesis. And, you know, that catches your attention. And most importantly, she practiced what she preached. And that's the hardest part. And that's, that's what I call putting skin in the game. Whether it's business and you risk your time and money and reputation or life, you know, you, uh, I don't know where a person really stands until I see him put skin in the game. And so after her death, uh, just to try to wrap this up, uh, I, I meditated, I did Buddhist practice, and then I uh, studied Judaism, and eventually came back <laughs> to, uh, this was years later, and there were, I, something made me go to a Jesuit retreat center and do a personal retreat, and again, just the operation of faith. And uh, after that, I returned to my practice. So that's kind of the long story. And you are uh, currently married um, to, you, are you, you're currently in another uh, uh, interracial uh, relationship, uh, marriage. Is, is that correct? Yes. Uh, my wife, uh, Virginia, uh, and I'm not going to spoil it, for the listeners, because the way we met had some cosmic aspects to it, wow. too. yeah. And that's just been kind of the story of my life. So, uh, yeah, she and she, uh, her her birthday is uh, one day apart from Anita's, and oh, wow. she grew up about 150 miles in the rural south, <laughs> in her case, Mississippi, and like all of us by now one day just packed it up and headed to California and, you know, did what you had to do. So now, uh, yeah. So, so you're talking about California, you're talking about, uh, it sounded like you, you arrived to California in the 1970s. That's, that's when you married uh, the native American woman. Um, and, um, of course the minor standing the well, you had the black Panthers, I think we're starting in the, in the sixties and seventies, California being, uh, kind of a um, kind of a, 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 a an engine a, 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 a multiracial uh, a, a diversification engine uh, for for the United States um, and and recently uh, we have I believe the BLM movement uh, that Black Lives Matter movement starting starting right there in in Oakland uh, a town that sounds like you, you know uh, uh, very well um, what are the differences in your view? And again, we're getting away from you know your career. We're getting more into uh, some of the other side of success, but which is so important for anybody, um, if for any kind of business mind. Um, what 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 is uh, is what are some of the the differences that you've seen through the decades of living in living in uh, Northern California? Um, is, um, is 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 racism still a problem uh, in your view, uh, Martin? Uh this is such a difficult topic yeah. to discuss, Ian. And, and I, I'm more than happy to, but I don't, you know, just try to give you kind of the, the high points on my outlook. Uh, when when one marries in, in, interracially, for for lack of a better word, uh, one puts 
skin in the game. Okay. Uh, this was in the mid-70s, and if you remember, there was free love and hot tubs in Moran and the Playboy Mansion and gay bathhouses in San Francisco. And, uh, and there was sort of this uh, liberalism, which uh, just concealed people aren't any different in the Bay Area than anywhere else. They were just, uh, you know, a little <laughs> more wary about, you know, how, how, they, how they talked about it. And so I had a relationship, uh, marriage, uh, with a Native American woman. And that, uh, she had a big extended family. And I was doing business at the same time with, I had a, a Chinese Filipino woman who was my mentor early on in business. And uh, so I, I just got to meet and know on a business, on a personal or highly intimate level, uh, people of other races. So when, when I married Anita, my second wife, uh, she was obviously black, uh, but you, you meet a person face to face and you deal with them. Uh, and I always seem to have an ability to kind of blend in with different ethnicities and quote races. And, but you're still dealing with a person and when you commit and get married, you, 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 you see each other's stories. And, you know, my background, my parents, uh, that was pretty horrific. And what, uh, what my wives went through in terms of um, when Anita moved out, class integrated for the first time in her senior year and living under Jim Crow. Uh, but you, at the end of the day, you have shared core values, and you are, you either work with each other, and you you don't you don't you're not uh, you don't say the races you're colorblind to it. That's just like a poser. Uh, you just factor everything in, and you make the best decisions. And your commitment is to your wife and your children and your extended family and radiates beyond that. Uh, I think today there is just, uh, there is a, a racial component that is so, so rigid that it's hard to even have a conversation. Uh, and you you see, if you've been in different relationships, you see that at any point in time, there is no, there's no, quote, race that's superior and inferior. You deal with them, you know, honestly and directly. And uh, that, that's just the preamble to have a discussion about it. Uh, but I have a good friend, uh, who, and he's politically involved, you know, in the Beltway and all of that. And he said it's so hard to have a conversation today because, one, you have to agree what's factually true, and two, you have to have mutual respect uh, for the person, the people that, you know, you're talking to. And the sentiment today, this isn't just about race, it's uh, ideologically, it's 
I'm right and you're evil. And it's, it's hard to go from there. So what I try to do if, when people want to have a discussion, you know, I try to find out, uh, you know, what they believe to be true. And if there's a common basis and if, you know, they respect me for, you know, my opinion and not. You, you trace your roots back a little bit. You pay homage to the, the motherland of your parents. You go to Ukraine, 2011. Um, this, is, uh, this is chapter 23, the bloodlands uh, for the folks uh, uh, in the book. Um, uh, explain, explain the importance of uh, this Ukrainian, uh, famous Ukrainian Taras Shevchenko, Martin. Yeah, this. So I went for the first time to Ukraine, and when I was like um, sixty years old. Uh, before then, uh, up until the Soviet Union collapsed, you couldn't really like go and travel, and you know you were just shadowed by the KGB, and it wasn't a place you'd want to go. Uh, after the Soviet Union collapsed, then I wanted to go with my parents, but then my dad got sick and he passed, and then my mom got sick after he did, and she passed. So we were never able to go, so I just arranged the, the trip through uh, the Ukrainian uh, Catholic University, uh, which proliferated after you know the fall of communism, and which I've supported over the years. So. I had some of their students able to dig through archival records and were able to find where my parents were born and and I was able to spend some time and then really find out what it was like during those years. And what I found out was that the area between Berlin and Moscow and Ukraine and the city that they lived in, Ternopil, was sort of the epicenter. It was the scene of the greatest mass murder of civilians mm. in human history, largely under uh, Hitler and Stalin. And that's the mindset that, that I brought back. And my dad didn't like to talk about it, and then I knew why. And I think, like a lot of immigrant parents, they try to protect their children from, yeah. quote, what happened. And let's. Um, but, but I want to get some closing remarks from you, and 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 give listeners uh, some some final thoughts uh, as they uh, as they are building their own careers. Uh, they strive for success, and they um, they learn to deal with uh, those those items on the other side of success to learn from uh, to learn from from an expert, if you will. Um, you talk a little bit about about that. Some final words for listeners, but but. For, before doing that, uh, Martin, uh, uh, speak a, a little bit about another element uh, of what uh, listeners can expect from from reading your book: um, the relationship that you uh, that you had with your with your sister. Yeah, my my sister was several years older than myself and came over with my parents. Uh, she uh, she had some issues and we grew up together but um, she left uh, left the little town you know after high school graduation like I did 
and moved to Chicago like I did and got married and uh, did, you know, had a son and then remarried later. But um, uh, she had, as I found out later, um, that was the beginnings of just suffering from uh, paranoid schizophrenia and other issues. So uh, she had a big blowout with, with my dad and uh, disappeared in 1983 mm. and just disappeared. And over the years, you know, I tried to locate her. I hired, uh, you know, private detectives. Obviously, after I met Mary Jo the psychic, tried to see if that could help. But um, I had reconciled myself to the fact that you know, she may not even be alive anymore, and I never see her. And then in 2010, <laughs> again, a family in, in Florida, in Orlando, uh, called my brother and me and said, we, th- this woman who we've helped over the years, and, you know, uh, we just found out, and we did the research on the Internet, that her married, last married name was Brown. So it's really kind of almost impossible to track that. But uh, we, th- we think she was also Sawa. And you know, to make a long story short, that was in fact my sister. So <laughs> we flew out and reunited. And uh, this family, they, they were like saints. They were Catholic and they met her in the church. My sister would sitting in the church all day. She was homeless and destitute. And they helped her, uh, you know, get, get on meds, get back on her feet. And so uh, for five years until she passed, uh, we rekindled our relationship. And that was pretty amazing. Wow. Wow. Um, Martin, uh, thanks for joining Discuss Your Truth. Um, I'd like to um, get some closing some closing thoughts from you, please, sir, and um, and tell listeners what they can expect uh, from you. Uh, your, your next, uh, the next next chapter. Well, right now I'm really enjoying just doing uh, ta- talking to people <laughs> like we are. Uh, you know the the marketing right right when I launched. It's, you know the world now is it's all online. Yeah. So you're just dealing with images, you know, book covers and taglines and, uh, you know, Amazon ads and whatever. So just the, the chance to talk with people is, like, really great. Uh, and my next uh, my next step, I may, you know, I wrote, before I wrote this book, I wrote some screenplays. I may write another script. Uh, there is many stories within the stories in the book. Uh, and one is working with my stepson, whose journey to success is uh, more compelling than mine and what, what he had to overcome. 